Welcome to Brand New Doctor. My name is Rola Carajo, doctor turned healthcare graphic designer and brand strategist. This is the show where we share big ideas and look for inspiration in all kinds of places to help you grow a fulfilling career in healthcare. Following a path to success is one thing, but carving your own is another. So this is for you if you want to go beyond book smart. I'm joined today by Peter Grundy, also known as the father of infographics. He is a designer and illustrator whose use of color and humor to simplify complex ideas redefined the genre we now know today as infographics. Peter trained at the Royal College of Art, where he met Tilly Northage, and together in 1980, they started their studio, Grundy and Northage, where they focused their talents on visual communication that explained rather than sold things. Later in 2006, Peter ventured into branding and advertising with his design practice, Grandini. And with a career spanning over 40 years, Peter's unique style has led him to work with many notable clients, including the WHO, The Guardian, and Google. Many of his illustrations relate to health. His book, Human Body, is a stunning collection of infographics that explain complex facts about our biology in engaging, memorable, and often playful ways. So welcome to the show, Peter. It's a real pleasure to have you. Lovely to be here. Here I am to answer questions on, on my work and life. I hope I can remember everything because it's been quite a long time since I started, but let's give it a go. Wonderful. So I know I'm biased, but I love to learn about the way that designers think and play with ideas. And I think a lot of other people will benefit from, from this too. So as you know, many of the show's listeners work in healthcare, so it's a really great chance for them to cross-pollinate ideas and think about their own creativity in new ways. So I'm thinking that we begin with ideas. And I read that Lou Klein, who was your tutor at the Royal College of Art, taught you that ideas were important. So I would really love to know what meaning did you take from that and how did that influence you throughout your career? Well, very much so. I sort of did my art education in the 70s, um, which is a long time ago, and it actually spanned um, seven years. I wasn't always at the same art college. I went to three. Um, in 1973, um, I did a foundation course, which is what all art students do when they start, um, which is just a year where you try everything um, so that you can actually uh, discover your speciality to take to your next college, which is a BA course. And I did that at Bath between 1973 and 1976. Um, and then I was taught by a Swiss designer called Benno Zender um, in the Bauhaus tradition. So it was a very formal art education. And then I applied um, to go to the Royal College to do an MA. Um, and in those days, there were only 12 places a year at the Royal College. So it was quite a, it was quite a big thing. And um, I got in. And uh, that is what brought me um, from the rural area of Taunton, where I was born and brought up, uh, and brought me to London um, to a very competitive environment. And the Royal College of Art course was run by someone called Lou Klein, 
who was this fearful man, very, very powerful, very big. Um, and he came from New York, uh, Madison Avenue, and he was an advertising man. His way of teaching was very, very different from the uh, teaching I'd had at Bath, which, as I said, was very formal and traditional. And uh, Lou's um, concept of teaching was that um, creatives have ideas, but they don't do anything. They have the ideas, and then they get the best illustrator, the best photographer, the best copywriter to realize those ideas. Um, so to give you a rough example, like Apple, if you look at the Apple uh, identity, which is, the, which is the apple with a bite taken out, you'll notice that it's always um, one color, very monochrome. It never appears with the word Apple, or very rarely at any rate. And it's usually embossed into signs or on, uh, on, on Apple equipment. And that would be a concept that, an, that a designer might have, um, and then he would get talked to other people to actually realize that. And um, when we got to the Royal College, all 12 of us, um, Lou's first project to us was um, simply this. Uh, a black man meets a white man for the first time, what happens next? That was the project. So up to then, we had all been used to sort of designing leaflets and posters and all that sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, we get these sort of projects, which are just sort of one-liners asking us to sort of open our brains to all sorts of things. And the other thing about these projects we did with Lou, he didn't want to see anything. He didn't want to see any design. He just wanted us to tell him what the idea was. So for this project, we had to ring him up at the end of our first week. Each of us had to sort of had a time when we would phone him on a payphone because there were no mobiles in those days. And um, we had 30 seconds to actually tell us what, the, what our solution to the idea was, and that's the way he taught things. So other, other projects might be something like um, design compromise or... Um, design something unusual. So it was very much a sort of uh, an exercise to get our brains thinking and to stop us actually uh, trip working in the way that we'd actually become used to in our previous college. It was like a start again time. So um, the thing about the Royal College when I went there is that um, everyone was going into advertising. Advertising was where all the uh, all the money was for a start. And um, it was also a very glamorous sort of place to be. At that time, for some reason, I became interested in this little known unloved area of design called um, information design. I guess, unlike everyone else at the Royal College of Art, I thought I'm going to try and explore that because no one else does. Why information? A, I suppose it was because it was done very badly. I mean, if you saw information design in those days in, uh, in print or in newspapers, it was just bar charts and pie charts. And um, B, it just seemed more useful to me um, to explain things rather than sell things. It kind of seemed more useful to human society, which Sounds rather romantic now, I suppose, but um, that that is something that um, 
I and my to-be business partner really believed in. So we had this idea, this is Tilly Northedge, who I met at the Royal College. We had this idea of doing information in a new and creative way, a bit like advertising. So we thought we'd sort of do it um, and make it as glamorous as the, um, as the advertising folks. So it's really that kind of the, like I said, cross-pollination of those ideas, then why not have the same kind of appeal that is applied when it comes to advertising and bringing that to information? Yes, because we, f- we felt that um, we could make a difference in a, in, a, in a particular area and be useful um, at the same time. So, so we set up in an old workspace. Um, we left when when we left college. We it was nineteen eighty, I suppose. Uh, well, the latter end of nineteen seventy nine, and we we just found a couple of desks in an old workspace, and we sort of just set up there. And in those days, there were no computers, so you didn't need any expensive equipment. You just needed um, uh, your portfolio full of ideas, and and kind of off we went. And so going back to that idea of ideas being important, how did that kind of fuel you going forward? Was it, was it helpful to, to lean on that, um, lean on that concept that it was the ideas before anything else? Um, or did you find that it was helpful in terms of just your process? I I just wonder how it all fed in, how it all came together for you. Well, our intention was to do exactly as you've just described, um, which is to um, uh, take, well, to, to first of all, get a job. We had to sort of go and look for, for some work. And uh, our intention was to actually, once we got that job, was to do it exactly in the way we've been taught at the Royal College, which was to have an idea and then find someone that could help us sort of produce that idea. And we actually got this job. Um, the first job that is from uh, a magazine called Design Magazine, which was um, a sort of magazine produced by um, the Design Council. And the editor there said, I'd really like to get you guys to do a cover, um, but do it as a diagram. We got the brief and we went back and we sort of brainstormed an idea, which was to sort of um, produce a cover uh, to do with... Um, efficient locomotive steam engines. Sounds very interesting, doesn't it? And um, we thought we'd have some fun with it and, and, and do it almost like a cartoon. We um, sort of lined up uh, a friend of ours from Royal College to do the um, illustration. So we went back to the client and said, okay, Keith, here's the idea. Um, and uh, here's the illustrator we're going to use. And in our naivety, we'd forgotten to ask what the budget was. And um, Keith said, great idea, love the illustration style. Um, I've got 150 quiz. So we went to the illustrator and we said, um, so uh, how much do you need for this illustration? And he went, 150 quid. So at that point, we realized that we had a big problem with, um, with our business model. What we didn't realize at the time, of course, is that Whereas advertising budgets were enormous, there was no budget at all for doing information design because it was a new area which we were inventing. So 
we realized that we were going to have to sort of find our own, our own sort of uh, visual language to actually do what illustrators did or which photographers did for that matter. And neither Tilly nor Fed or myself considered ourselves to be illustrators. So we had to invent a way of drawing that um, uh, we could be comfortable in doing. Luckily, part of our design education as graphic designers um, did include um, um, the sort of very simple drawing you do for business sort of logos and um, trademarks and also typography. You know, we'd be taught to design letter forms and, and use sort of very simple pieces of equipment to actually do that sort of work. So that's where the very simple um, style of drawing that you see when you see my work now comes from. It comes from really uh, uh, an almost an inability to be able to draw, actually. What we actually were doing, we're having good ideas and just uh, using this very simple drawing style to actually sort of put them across. And the strange thing was that um, clients really loved it. They loved the drawing style. In fact, we, 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 we started getting quite a lot of work, which had nothing to do with information at all. They just, they just came to us for our drawing style, but inherently we were information designers and, and that's the way we continued for 26 years. I love that. It's so inspiring to hear how you can kind of see what would initially be an, a problem and actually create a solution out of it that becomes a defining feature of the work that you do in fact and and really I think that it's just very interesting to hear as well how you leaned into this area as well into infographics knowing that it was not as glamorous as advertising was at the time so I'm, I'm curious to know um, you know with you focusing on infographics where do you think the best ideas come from? Or how do you think we can get better ideas that we can build upon? Well, um, I suppose speaking from my perspective, um, I kind of, I mean, if you're asking about how I come up with ideas, right? The, um, the answer is, uh, it's a kind of bit of a mystery, I have to say, because, um, uh, I, I guess it's a fairly instinctive process for me. But um, the way I tend to work um, when I get a project or when someone invites me to uh, design um, uh, or explain something, I just think. Um, and I come up with ideas um, in my head long before I actually put pen to paper or, or write anything down. And I usually go uh, for ideas that are the most unusual ideas that I can think of. Um, I rarely play safe. Um, I usually sort of sit down and um, think about a project. I distill the information. Um, I come up with some very simple uh, connectors that sort of, uh, sort of come together at the end to form a very simple idea. Once I'm satisfied or happy that I've got something that's going to work, then I will put something down or these days put something in the computer um, and uh, then present it to a client. Um, but whenever I'm working, I always think of one thing that um, 
Lou Klein at the Royal College of Arts said to me is that there's only one thing worse than uh, a, a bad idea, um, and that's a, a mediocre idea. So I always steer well clear of um, being mediocre. How do you define mediocre then? Safe. Because I think as a designer, um, one has to push boundaries. Um, and I think one needs to uh, explore um, different avenues um, to discover new ways of explaining things and doing things. And you never get to that if you're just playing safe and uh, doing things that are mediocre. I mean, that, that philosophy, it seems has bled into the way that your career has gone as well. The fact that you were focusing on an area that other people didn't take as much interest in. And you thought about redefining what the status quo was when it came to the field of information, really. What would your advice be to someone else who is trying to redefine the status quo or create a field that doesn't exist yet? My advice would be to uh, firstly be totally committed to it um, because being a designer means total commitment. You can't really do it um, uh, as a sort of sideline or as a second job, something else. You nearly, you really need it to become part of your life. You really need to believe in what you're doing. And um, secondly, I would say um, you need to find your own way of doing it. Um, and not copy what other people are doing, which is, you know, quite difficult these days because we have uh, a, a lot of social media with things like um, Instagram, where it's very, very easy to actually uh, look up a genre and say, oh, that's quite nice. I'll, I'll have a go at that. You know, I think the real trick, if you're going to really explore a new area is that, well, firstly, finding the area is quite difficult, you know, because I guess the new areas now will be in technology. But once you've found that area and you're totally committed to it, which means you have to really enjoy it and believe in it, um, you've then got to find your own way of doing it, a way that doesn't look like other people. In fact, there's an interesting uh, little piece of information I'll give you, which is when I started working with Tilly in 1980, I guess there were two or three people doing something similar to what we were doing in London. Um, and in those days, the, 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 the world was much smaller because there was not the internet. Um, whereas now, um, if you look internationally on things like Instagram, there'll be probably be about half a million people um, doing information design to varying degrees of success. Uh, and I get asked this question quite a lot. It's what is the key? And the key is to um, uh, find your own way of uh, doing things, something that uh, separates you from, from other people. And I think with me, people assume it's the illustration, but it isn't, to be honest with you, um, because the illustration could be copied very easily by other people. I think when you come to me, what you're really getting um, is the... Uh, is the Grandini or the Grandi ideas. Um, I kind of do the illustration for free. <laughs> so you put, you put more emphasis on the ideas than on the execution. I think that's a great place to be. 
honestly. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about your work in healthcare. So, so I, you know, I imagine that the human body presents a really interesting challenge as a designer because it's, you know, all at once perplexing, but it's also so relatable at the same time. But I would love to know what it is or what it was that drew you to create your book on the human body. Well, that was, that was a project that was, um, it wasn't my initiative. I, I, I was asked to design um, uh, a book called The Human Body by a publisher called Big Picture Press, uh, probably in 2015, I guess. The people that asked me to do it, I did know the people. I mean, I had worked with them before. And they came to me and they said, we're, we're thinking of doing a series of books for, for kids um, between the ages of um, 6 to 12. And um, it's going to be uh, a series of science subjects. So the human body was one. There was going to be one on astronomy and one on animals. The brief was to get away from traditional medical illustration and present uh, the, uh, the, the, the subjects in a, in a simple and fun way. Uh, and I, I was asked to do the, the body book, and that was the first one. And um, they said, we want you to sort of design the book and sort of set the style and the, the way it worked. So the way, the way I, we, we, we worked on that is that I sat down with the editor um, and we decided to um, come up with um, uh, a book that was divided into six categories. Uh, and each category um, uh, was sort of based on uh, an aspect of the human body, like senses, reproduction, heart, brain. You get the sort of gist. And then we took one section um, uh, and designed that as a what's called a pilot, which is like um, a presentation that the publisher will use to sell the book. Um, and it's done to a very finished sort of state. And the actual section that we, we decided on was uh, a section called, um, what was it called? The Human Factory. That's right. Which was about how um, the human body produces substances. We just wrote it as facts, you know, rather than, because kids don't really want to read a lot of information. They just want to see pictures, let's face it. We thought, well, that's how we'll do the book. We'll just turn the book into a sort of, uh, a lot of facts that, that I will use a very simple iconographic style to sort of get things across and we'll do a lot of humor, you know? So in the production line, we've got big beards. If the average man never shaved his beard, it could grow more than four meters long in his lifetime, you know, things like that. And, um, we got soap store, um, human body contains enough to make up seven bars of soap. So, so these are the sort of things that, you know, we kind of were illustrating on that spread. So I, I kind of created this figure, which is a very simple drawing of a person. And then it's crammed with all these sort of um, iconographic facts, really. It was actually one of, um, one of my favorite spreads in the book. I'd say another one that I really loved was... Um, one that you had on the brain, you're talking about different areas of the brain um, where senses can be found. Um, 
kind of mapping mapping out senses to to the the anatomy of the brain. And I thought that was really interesting. I know it's interesting that you say that kids want to see pictures, but I think adults do as well. <laughs> I think that um, we're we're kind of we're we're very similar. There's a kind of a delight that you bring to your work that. I think adults find really, really engaging as well because we're often subjected to lots and lots of texts and and there's sometimes less of an appreciation that, you know, adults like, you know, fun and delight and appeal like every like everyone else. And so I'm I'm curious when it comes to your ideas, you to be able to make something so visually stunning and engaging, you have to do a lot of stripping away at the same time. So obviously there's a skill to this that you have to be able to distill information simply and elegantly. How do you decide on what to eliminate when you are designing? Do you start with everything you want to put on the page and slowly take things away or do you have a different kind of process for that? I guess um, you, you do talk quite a lot at the beginning of every job to the, to the client, you know, and the clients are often experts. And they often do an awful lot of talking. And to be honest with you, a lot of what they say goes straight over my head because uh, I'm not a scientist um, and I'm not a doctor. But somehow the, the important bits kind of stick when, when they're talking. So at the end of uh, a brief or a conversation, I end up with some stuff that uh, is in my head. And I've obviously been given a whole wealth of verbal information, far more than I would probably ever read. I think that's when my instinct sort of kicks in, really. And I just look for a series of facts that can tell a story that will enable people to understand it um, uh, relatively clearly. You, uh, you were mentioned in a book called Can Graphic Design Save Your Life? So you were asked this question, can graphic design save your life? And that was, that was the name of the book, which I highly recommend. Can you talk about your response to that question? First of all, this was an exhibition. It was a showcase of uh, design that helped well-being. I think um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, that question, I would say that uh, my life has been changed by um, being uh, an information designer uh, and working in uh, the area of helping other people because I feel it's a very responsible one. Um, and I feel when I'm doing this stuff that even though I'm trying to entertain people to a large extent and do things that are fun, you know, you have to uh, be... Um, very careful that what you do is accurate, not misleading, and uh, has to be extremely useful because after all, that's exactly what I set out to be when I chose to be an information designer, you know, is to um, explain things rather than sell them. And, and so I, I think that, I think it's clear that design and the way that we present information is really, really critical and it's, it helps a lot of people. So I think you can save a life with design, but have you ever had to convince someone of that or explain that to someone else? What would you say or what have you said in the past? Well, ask me the question directly. 
<laughs> can graphic design save your life? Yes, it can. It can save my life because um, I've been doing it for so long and I really enjoy it. So that's one thing. In terms of uh, can it save other people's lives? Absolutely, yes, because um, we live in a world where we're bombarded with um, information more and more. Um, and without designers to assist us through this uh, jungle of information to simplify things and make them clearer, um, um, a lot of people are going to get left behind and lost. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. What would a dream brief be for you in healthcare? Is there a particular aspect of healthcare or the experience of health that you think needs more explaining? Well, the funny thing about dream briefs is that you only kind of know they're a dream when they kind of come along, you know? Um, I, I guess uh, doing the body book and um, doing the continuum covers were both dream briefs, but if you had asked me prior, I wouldn't have been able to say, oh, I'd love to do a body book or I'd love to do a series of, you know, sort of 36 covers, uh, sort of based on what goes on in, in, in people's heads, you know. I hope that I will be um, uh, pleasantly surprised by um, the next uh, sort of health-related brief that comes along. But um, I, I, I had another one this year, which no one would have seen because it's not actually published yet, which is um, on radiation. Um, and uh, it's a presentation to inform um, uh, health workers and patients alike um, <clears throat> what radiation is, because radiation is used as part of treatment. Uh, and a lot of people uh, just simply, uh, well, a lot of people are scared, obviously, by radiation because of the connotations and uh, between it and nuclear um, sort of weapons and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. What I was actually asked to do was to simplify what radiation is so that people can understand it better, give them a better understanding, you know. And, and for me, it was an adventure myself because I didn't know some of these facts that uh, I was asked to present. So it's, it's obviously, it's, it's great when you, when you learn something new yourself through the process of doing these briefs, but is there, is there an area of, um, of health that you feel needs more attention when it comes to expl explanation? Um, are there things that you would like to have better explained that maybe you found perplexing yourself? Well, I think going to the doctor can be um, uh, something that could be uh, looked at. <laughs> Just the process of seeing a doctor, yeah. Well, exactly, you know, because I think um, when you go to the doctor, you're obviously being taught to in a language and the treatments are being described in a way that is totally beyond most people's understanding or even their vocabulary to respond, you know. Um, uh, I, I kind of was brought up uh, in an era where the national health was pretty new um, when I was a kid. And I remember my parents who had experienced a time where there wasn't national health, um, they would never ask a doctor any questions or um, question the treatment or anything like that. They would just do exactly as they were told, you know. Um, where, and whereas I think now um, uh, people do ask quite rightly questions more of doctors and what it is that the uh, treatments are. And um, I think design and 
editing could be, the writing could be done in a much better way to help people at doctor surgeries and things like that. So um, I would certainly say that um, that's something that I would welcome to be involved in. Final question to you, Peter. Thank you so much for your time thus far. I just want you to imagine for a moment that you are the dean of a university and you can influence the curriculum for healthcare students in any way that you see fit. What would you want students to learn about visual communication that could help them in their career to improve the healthcare experience? And obviously these are not designers, but there's a lot that other people can learn from design that could help them in their work. So what would you want them to learn at university? I suppose my, my aim would be to ask them to do two things, really. To be simple or to explain things simply um, and to explain things friendly. If, if I was going to uh, run a course that taught people how to communicate, because let's face it, that's what design is, it's communication, isn't it? Um, whether it's visual or verbal, um, I think I would teach them to do both of those two things. Uh, and, and my manifesto would be as simple as that. Simple and friendly. <laughs> I think, I think those are, that's wonderful advice. I think that's great creative direction, particularly when it comes to healthcare as it's such a nebulous, oftentimes frightening field for people to be able to engage better with their, with their own health experience. So thank you so, so much, Peter. I wonder where can people follow you and find out more about the work that you do? Well, they can look at grandini.com, which is uh, my website. Wonderful resource of inspiration, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, and obviously you'll see things that aren't just uh, uh, health related. You'll see other things as well there. So be prepared for that. And the other place that you can see work on a regular basis is uh, my Instagram feed, which is Grandini Editions. Or if, if, if you want to know more, um, you can just Google me, um, either Peter Grundy or Grandini, and you should, or the last time I looked, you could, um, get to a whole load of, uh, sort of stuff on me and. Don't look at my holiday pictures. That's all I ask. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brand New Doctor. I hope it inspired you in your personal journey. Check out the notes for a summary of the show with all of the important links. And if you enjoyed this, 